Let's say this on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. All right, give someone a high five. Love you. Praise God. You can be seated today. Thanks for those that are watching online, joining us today all over the world on this Valentine's weekend. We started a series just last week called The Language of Love, and we've been talking about how do we speak the language of love. First, we gotta get to know who created love, who created that language of love, and we discovered last week God is love. God is the author of this language, and he teaches us to speak this language fluently through the scriptures. You know, we can't have humane love until we receive divine love. God's love empowers us to have human love. It's, it's only through the love of God that we can flourish in our relationships here on earth. We talked about how last week that God shows us through his son, Jesus Christ, five ways to communicate love. First is words of affirmation. The second was quality time. The third was through gifts. Fourth was acts of service and fifth was touch. Last week, one of the challenges we uh, gave to all of us was that we would find out those who are closest to us what their love language is. How many of y'all took that challenge? You found out someone who's close to you, what their love language is. Some people in the room did this in each service, and I talked to one family. They said, right after church, we went to lunch. We sat down with each family member and said, what is your love language? And they asked the son, they asked the daughter, they asked their other daughter. And then husband and wife, parents sharing, my love language is quality time. What makes me feel valuable, what makes me feel loved is words of affirmation. I feel most loved when, when someone gives me a gift, a thoughtful gift, whether it's flowers or chocolates or a shirt or something that I've been wanting. I feel most loved when, uh, when someone gives me a hug, a kiss, that physical touch. And so finding out what those were. One husband came to me after last week. He said, so my wife leans over to me after the service and says, I'm all five love languages. You better get to work in this week and communicate some love to me. Some of us got our work cut out for us and we've got to, you know, really lean in and find out what is people's love language, our wife, our husband, as uh, singles, finding out what your roommate's love language is, being able to communicate that love. We were born to be loved and to give love. It's not a weak thing, it's not a bad thing, it doesn't make you uh, uh, less strong. You were born to be loved and to give love. And the only way we can do that is through God's love and then finding out what does other people, what makes them feel loved, looking at those love languages. We can actually fit all five of these into two categories, actions and words. Love acts and love speaks. The language of love is really just two categories, actions and words. The actions are the gifts, the time we spend, the physical touch, the, the, uh, the what was the other one? Acts of service, that those are the actions. And then words is obviously words of affirmation. Today, I wanna talk to you about speaking words of love. Uh, next week, we'll get into the actions part, but today, I wanna talk to you about speaking words of love. Even just between two services, between the nine and 11, I saw a young girl, she was going around handing out Valentine cards to people. And it just little words saying, you are loved. You are valuable. You are, uh, uh, someone loves you, God loves you. I think that's so sweet, seeing kids learn to speak that love language. 
God wants us to speak words of love. Everybody say, speak love. So how do we speak love? You know, words have the power to build up or to tear down. Words have the power to heal or to harm. Our words can propel people into their God-given destiny, and our words can also dispel people from their God-given destiny. With our words, we can literally steer people away from suicide. With our words, we can steer marriages to stay together. With our words, we can steer a conversation away from strife. Your words have power. I'm not just talking about the words you speak to yourself. Some of us are talking to ourselves too much. I'm talking about the words we speak to others. The words you say to your spouse, the words you say to your brother, your sister, your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, to your parents, to your children, that our words carry power. This last week I was watching the news and they were interviewing these people who had just gotten off a really bad cruise. This cruise ship went right into a storm and it actually uh, almost sank in the middle of the storm. There was 30 foot swells of waves knocking this cruise ship, over a thousand people on the ship. They were freaking out, taking pictures and it was on the news and, and the, the cruise line, the name was getting tarnished. The cruise line ship, they said, we're so sorry, we're gonna refund all your tickets. We'll give you free passes on the next cruise ship. And they said, I am never getting on a boat again. I'm not getting on that cruise ship again. And I thought about how the captain of the ship decided that they were gonna go into that storm, right? He saw the storm coming and instead of steering the ship away, he had the power to do it, he went right into the storm. And it's cost them their clientele. It's cost them the relationships that they had with their customers. In the same way, James chapter three, if you have a Bible, we're gonna go to James chapter three. James likens our words, yes, we get excited about the Bible. It's God's Valentine card to you and me. It's his love letter. And James, the author of James is James. He was the brother of Jesus. And he wrote this letter to you and to me. And he said, guys, your tongue is like a small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain. It can set a course in the face of the strongest winds. He goes on to say this, a word out of your mouth may seem of no account but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. Our words have power. Your tongue is the most powerful part of your body. You decide what you're going to speak, what you're going to release into the atmosphere, how you're going to treat other people. James goes on to say this, a careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. Careless words, wrongly placed words. I don't know if this has happened to you, but I've had days where everything was going bad and all it took was one word from someone that just turned my day around. I mean, I, I remember one time I was just feeling discouraged. I was feeling uh, just, you know, so upset at myself. I was kicking myself, beating myself up for something I, I felt like I could have done better in. And someone came up to me and he said, if your dad was alive right now, he would say, son, I am so proud of you. That sentence changed my day. All it took was one sentence, five seconds, and he changed my entire day, the rest of my week. His words, why? Well, my language, my love language is words of affirmation. But I think for all of us, we have the power to use our words to change people's days, to make them feel valuable, 
to make them feel like it's gonna be okay. You're gonna get through this. You've got what it takes. He says a careless or wrongly placed word. Now, I've been on the other side where I was having a great day. Things were going good and somebody carelessly said a word and man, it sent me down a spiral of discouragement, a spiral of feeling miserable. Anyone else been there before? Things were going good and then someone just had to say something that was negative and you just go, oh. It's crazy, there's a story, a true story about a guy named Larry David. He's the uh, author, creator of Seinfeld and, and several shows and he said, I was going to the New York Stadium to see the New York Yankees in the Yankee Stadium, 50,000 fans. And they put the camera on Larry David and people started cheering, Larry, Larry. People were giving him high fives, man, we love your show, you're so awesome, encouraging him. He said, when I was leaving the stadium that night after 50,000 screaming fans, compliments, one person shouted out of their window as they're driving past me, hey, Larry, you stink. And he said, one critic silenced 50,000 fans. One critic silenced 50,000 compliments. This is critics' math. This happens to a lot of us. We could hear 10 encouraging words, 10 compliments, but one negative critical word could send us down a path of discouragement. He said, for the next few months, all I could think about was that one critical word. I was depressed. I was miserable. All I could think about was that one person who put me down. And James goes on to say this, a careless, a wrongly placed word can do exactly that. By our speech, we can ruin the world. We can turn harmony into chaos. We can throw mud on a reputation. We've seen this before in the media. I mean, even just watching the debates on TV, it's ridiculous that people are just spewing out poison about their brothers, poison towards their sisters, poison towards each other. We've seen the media do this. When they get focused on trying to destroy someone they don't like, they just keep Throwing mud on that reputation, throwing mud. James says, with our words, we can send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. What was James saying? James was saying, we're either speaking hell into people's lives or we're speaking heaven into people's lives. We decide. And, and I think what James was also saying was even when hell is being spoken against you, you can combat it with heaven. You can speak heaven even when there's dirty stuff coming at you, mean words coming at you. You can steer the ship away from the storm by stopping the strife and speaking life, speaking love. Everybody say, speak love. James goes on to say this, James 3, verse 9. With our tongues, we bless God. We bless God. We do this at church. I'm fully devoted to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let heaven come. We sing worship. But with those same mouths, we curse the very men and women that God has made in his image. Guys, this can't happen. He says curses and blessings out of the same mouth. 11 a.m. service, we've got to get this. Every service, we've got to get this. My friends, this can't go on. Researchers have been studying bullying right now in middle school, high school, elementary. Just in the United States of America, every day during school days, over 160,000 children a day will miss school. They will pretend to be sick or they will somehow skip school out of fear of being verbally bullied at school. 90% of fourth through eighth graders 
report of being victims of mean words spoken against them. Harassment and bullying have been linked to 75% of school shooting incidents. Why is this message important? Because our world is going down with our words. We are either creating life in our world with our words, or we are creating death in our world with our words. We have the power to literally change a nation with our words. Where do kids learn this bullying? At home. Where do they learn these mean words? At home. The words we speak. I was studying this last week, the, the effects of secondhand smoke. That, that in the last 15 years, over a million people have died from secondhand smoke. Just the intensity of, of, of inhaling the smoke that many people, and I was thinking, how many more people have been affected by secondhand criticism, secondhand cynicism, watching the way their parents treat each other, watching the way people speak to each other in their house? That those words, they stick on us. Those words, they stay in our mind. Words have so much power. They can make us come alive, or they can make us shut up and just say, I'm not going to do anything. There's no, there's no future for me. In fact, there was this young boy named Dell. He grew up in a, in a rough house. His dad was sent to prison when he was real young and his mom was in and out of bad relationships after his dad was gone. She continued to go to other men and then she would be on and off drugs. And young Dale was labeled by people, by, by the services, as a child at risk. And he said, all through elementary, that's all I would think about. I'm an at-risk child. There's no future for my life. I'm an at-risk child. God doesn't have a plan for me. I'm an at-risk child. He, he got into all kinds of trouble, made all kinds of mistakes, hung out with the wrong crowd, and he would continue just rehearsing, I'm an at-risk child. One day in high school, he had gotten sent to the principal's office so many times, the principal was ready to just kick him out of this school. And he said, I'm gonna send you to the counselor. He went into the counselor's office, and this, this little older woman, she looked at him, she said, Del Toro, what's going on? What's really wrong? He said, I'll tell you what's wrong. Ever since I was young, I've been labeled an at-risk child, and that's all I'll ever be. There's no future for me. I'll never amount to anything. I'm just an at-risk child. And she looked at Delatoro and she said, stop it. You're not an at-risk child. You're an at-possibility child. You've got the possibility to change your life. You've got the possibility to fulfill your God-given destiny. You've got the possibility to make an impact on this school. You've got the possibility to be successful. You've got the possibility to be a, a, a great leader. And Della Toro, that day, he said, something changed. He said, I took off the at-risk child hat that I had been wearing, and I put on the at-possibility hat. He said, I started rehearsing what that high school counselor told me. I'm at-possibility. I'm at the possibility of making a difference in my life. I'm at the possibility of going further than my parents. I'm at the possibility of breaking out of the generational curse in my family. I'm at the possibility of overcoming. I'm at the possibility of succeeding. Today, Delatoro McNeil is a multi-millionaire, success coach, Christian, speaking to boys and girls that are at risk, saying you are at possibility. You've got what it takes. Your best days are in front of you. God's not finished with you yet. You are here on purpose. You are not an accident. He's making an impact because someone realized the power of their words. If we could all just catch this message, we could change a nation, change a generation to say, you're not what they've said about you. You are what God says about you. What does God speak? If God is love, 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. 
He or she who does not love has not discovered who God is. When we start discovering who God is and that the greatest characteristic about God is his love. It's never ending, never failing. He is love. And then we start to look in the scriptures, what does love speak? What does God speak to his children? The first time God speaks in the New Testament, it's amazing. There's been 400 years of silence between the last time a prophet spoke and this moment that God's about to thunder through the clouds. You would think that he might say something like, hey humanity, get your act together. You've been messing things up. By this time, his son Jesus has been in the earth for 30 years and nothing's happened yet. He might say, hey Jesus, come on, it's time to get started. You've been waiting too long. But instead, Father God, speaks from heaven in Matthew 3, 17, and he says, this is my son. That's my boy whom I love and whom I am well pleased. God was setting an example for you and for me. He was saying, speak love. Well, the first thing God does here is he speaks identity. This is my son. Everybody say identity. God was identifying Jesus as his son. This is my son whom I love, validation identification, then validation, I love you, and then affirmation, I am well pleased with you. You know, God is saying this to you and to I today. He's saying, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, and you might say, but God, I've messed up, I've done things I shouldn't have done, I've said things I shouldn't have said. You know what, God still says it to you today, you are my creation, I created you in my image, God loves you. He's saying today, I love you. He's not saying I love all the sins you commit, but I love you. You are my boy. You are my girl. No matter how old you are, how young you are, how messed up you think you are, God says, I love you. I love you. I love you. Just hear the Valentine today shouting from heaven, I love you. Not the future you, not the better you, not the more improved you. I love you right now as you are in church on February 14, 2016. God loves you. And he said it to Jesus and he's saying it to us. And then he says, I'm well pleased. In other words, I am delighted to be your father. I'm delighted to call you my child. I'm delighted in you. God sees potential in us. When we receive what God spoke to Jesus in our lives, then we're able to model it to people around us. If God calls me his child, God loves me as I am, and God affirms me to be who he's called me to be, he delights in being my dad, then we can start saying that to others. That I'm not embarrassed to call anyone my friend. That I, I could say, that's my wife, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. That's my mom, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. That's my grand grand. That we would start speaking this over our family members. Instead of being embarrassed by our kids, embarrassed with our parents, embarrassed with our relatives. You know, that we would start identifying them. That's my uncle. That's my father-in-law. That's my mother-in-law. That's my brother-in-law. That's my sister. That we would start identifying it with words of love, whom I love. And I'm delighted to be related to them. I'm delighted to be your pastor. I'm delighted to be your friend. That we would start speaking these words. How do we apply these words practically on a daily basis into our life? I wanna give you four ways that we can speak love. Four things that matter. When you're speaking love, these four important things are so, are so key and essential on how to speak love and, and when to speak love. Number one, content matters. Content matters. Remember what James said. A careless or misplaced word is, is really bad when we say it at the wrong time. So content matters. What are we speaking? A good, a good place to start if you wanna speak good content is go to 1 Corinthians 13. 
verse four through eight. If you're looking for good content to speak to someone, what does love sound like? Love is kind, love is patient, love is not envious, love is not puffed up. Is what I'm saying prideful or is it humble? Is what I'm saying kind or is it mean? Is what I'm saying uh, uh, gossip? Is what I'm saying slanderous? Is what I'm saying uh, uh, gonna hurt someone's reputation or am I speaking love? Am I speaking lie? Somebody said it like this, think before you speak. This is something I gotta learn every day. Anyone else? Think before we speak. And they broke it down like this with acronyms. Think. T is what I'm about to say true. H is what I'm about to say helpful. I is what I'm about to say inspiring. N is what I'm about to say necessary. That's huge right there. How many of us have said words that just weren't necessary? Right? I I know there's been times where Ashley and I have had to just apologize for words we said. They weren't even mean words, but they just weren't necessary, right? Sometimes we feel like it's our job to get everybody in line the second they mess up. But sometimes people need the sandwich method. They need a little bit of love, affirmation, then a little bit of correction, and then sandwiching it with some more affirmation and love. That we would speak words that are only necessary, that build people up. Paul said in Ephesians 4, if you don't have anything good to say, maybe hold your tongue. Speak positive or don't say anything at all. Is it necessary? K, is it kind? Is what I'm about to say to my dad, to my mom, to my sister, to my roommate, to my wife, to my husband, is it kind? Content matters. I want the band to come up as I'm getting ready to close. I want you to think about this in content. There are words that we shouldn't say. There are phrases that we should avoid. Some words that maybe we shouldn't say. What love doesn't say is, why do you always do that? You never do this for me. Always and never in a negative sentence are really bad. We need to stay away from that. Most of the time, it's not true. It's not realistic. When we say, you always, you know, you always do that. You never listen to me. You always roll your eyes. You always walk out when we get in a fight. When we say those words, it sticks in a man's heart and in a woman's heart. It sticks in a child's heart. We've gotta be careful to avoid saying words like this. We've gotta be careful. This is all your fault. I meant to, even though I didn't, right? I've been there before. Ashley asked me to take out the trash. The next day she asks me, did you take out the trash? And I realize I didn't, I go, I meant to. That doesn't help, that's just excusing bad behavior. She asked me to feed the kids. I meant to. (laughs) I, I really did mean to. No, what she needs to hear is, I apologize. I missed it. I'll feed the kids tomorrow, I promise. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We feed our kids. (laughs) Name calling. Guys, we we gotta get rid of this name calling stuff. Those things hurt people. Man, they stick on guys. They stick on girls. We can say stuff like, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's so false. Words hurt. Words hurt calling people names, and I don't, I don't wanna give examples because it's painful to even hear it. We've gotta stop that before it comes out of our mouth. I told you so, right? When we say that, that's not a good thing to say. I told you this was gonna happen. We don't have to say that. They already know they messed up. They know they made their mistake. We don't have to rub it in their face or hold it over their head. If you were more like, comparison sentences are never good. They always end in strife. If you're more like Jimmy, if you're more like Susie, if you're more like my dad, if you're more like your brother, if you're more like your sister, even, oh, this hurts when parents say this to their child. If 
you were more like your older sister, if you were more like your older brother, those things hurt kids. We've got to learn to speak words of life. What does love say? I've told you what love doesn't say. Here's what love does say. I love you. I love you, Victory. I love you so much. 11 a.m. service, I really love you. Y'all are awesome. I love preaching to you. You are such a good congregation. You are amazing. I'm sorry. This is something I've had to say a lot. Sometimes I say it even though I don't know what I'm saying I'm sorry for. And Ashley's like, what are you apologizing for? I'm like, anything, whatever you need me to apologize. I'm just, for tomorrow, I don't know. If I've done anything wrong, just accept the apology. I, I apologize. I forgive you. Someone needs to hear you say this today. I forgive you. Someone in your life feels like you haven't forgiven them of something they've done or said, even though you might've forgiven them, but they just need to hear it. Because for them, they feel trapped. They feel like, man, he's, she's mad at me. She's still holding on. He's still holding on to something I said or did. And you could set them free today to say, I forgive you. I forgive you, son. I forgive you, honey. I forgive you. I'm not holding that against you. I trust you. That's empowerment. I trust you, Ashley. I trust you, TW. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you with, with what I've asked you to do. I trust you. Someone needs to hear these words. I trust you. Because someone feels like you're suspicious about them all the time. Right? He's really, she's really suspicious. If he just heard you say, I trust you, man, that would go over huge today. I'm setting you up for some great brownie points this week. You've got what it takes. You can never tell a man too many times, you've got what it takes. Sometimes Ashley will just look at me and say, you are the man. And I just go, thank you. I received that. You've got what it takes, approval. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Sometimes we wait. We are so sparing with our compliments. We are so sparing with our encouragement. We wait to say this until like they've proven themselves for 40 years in, the, in that situation. But people need affirmation before they've proved themselves. People need affirmation on the journey of being who God's called them to be along the journey. I'll never forget, I was at a, uh, a, a run against cancer. I was uh, here in Tulsa, a big race, and it was the race against, we were racing to help raise money and uh, to, to go towards the cure for cancer. And I remember we were, I, I, it was halfway through, we were close to being done, but we weren't there yet. People were struggling in their run. But there were some people right next to the sidelines and they were just cheering us on. We weren't even, we weren't close to the finish line. We still had a way to go. But their cheers, their encouragement saying, you got this, you can do it. It got us, it got, gave a little more pep in our step. People need that to just keep going on their journey. Husbands, wives, sons, daughters, before they do something incredible, go ahead and just say, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you, Victory, for coming to church on Valentine's Day. Thank you for being here. I know you didn't come for me. I know you came for God, but I just, as your pastor, thank you. It means so much. Thank you. Many of you have stayed with Victory for years, and thank you for pushing through so many things we've walked through. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know you're not doing it for me. You're doing it because God called you here. He planted you here. But as the pastor, I just got to say thank you. Thank you to our camera people. Thank you to the sound men working all Valentine's weekend. Thank you to the band. Thank you to all the staff, the volunteers, the ushers, the greeters. Thank you. Someone needs to hear these words this week. Your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your roommates, your teachers. Just saying thank you goes huge. Number two, timing matters. Number one, content matters. Number two, timing matters. Love speaks first. Pride waits. Love initiates. 
timing. Speak first. Speak first. Love speaks first. It's the first to say, I apologize. Don't wait for them to apologize to you. You go ahead. I'm sorry. I missed it there. Love speaks first. I forgive you. I forgive you. Love speaks first. Encouragement. You're doing a great job. Before they encourage you, say a word of encouragement. Love speaks first. Timing matters. And along the words of timing, thinking about sometimes people just need some space. Instead of immediately trying to say something right after a fight, sometimes give it a little bit of time and then come back in the room and say, I'm sorry. I missed that. I apologize. I can't remember if I shared my story in this service about me and Ashley's first year of marriage. Did I share it? I know I shared it in the last service. I'll say it real quick, quick story. Our first year of marriage, when we got married, we were at an all-time high excitement, but three weeks after our wedding, my father passed away. And right after my father passed away, my grandfather passed away. In our first two months of marriage, we went to four funerals. My dad's, my grandpa's, a family members of Ashley's, a very close friend to Ashley and I. And so we were in this up and down excitement. We moved in with my mom for six weeks in the very beginning of our marriage, which was crazy. Uh, we moved in as all of the kids just to help encourage and support my mom. And I say crazy, not crazy like my mom, but I'm saying crazy like me and Ashley were newlyweds, so you know what I'm saying. Anyways, enough said, TMI, I'm gonna keep going. Too much information. None, nonetheless, right around Valentine's Day, we had only been married about three and a half months, we got into a disagreement. We got into a little argument. And I, I remember my dad one time when him and my mom got into a disagreement, he walked out of the house and he started sweeping the driveway and there was no leaves to sweep. He was just sweeping the driveway, praying in the spirit, trying to get, you know, calm down to say the right words. He came back in, apologized, it was all good. And we need to hear stuff like that because sometimes we think that Pastor Billy Joe was perfect, but we need to know that there were moments where he was imperfect and God helped him because he served a perfect God and we can all learn from each other's lessons of, of mending you know, broken relationships. Anyways, me and Ashley in this disagreement, I went out of the house just kind of thinking, well, that's what dad used to do, get out and kind of just calm himself down and come back in. That didn't go over well with Ashley. She didn't know where I was going. She thought I was like leaving. I was like, no, I'm just going out of the house. And I sat in the car and I was kind of frustrated just trying to calm myself down. And God said, go back in the house right now and apologize to your wife. And for every mean or harsh thing you said, you need to speak twice as many positive words to her. And so I went back in there and I said, honey, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. You are amazing. You are amazing. Here's a bonus thing you can say, good content to say to your spouse, you always look good. You don't have to wear makeup. You're the most beautiful girl ever. Saying that, that goes a long way. But timing, it was important that I came back in and immediately apologize. Timing's huge. Number three, tone matters. I'm almost done. Tone. Tone matters. Love speaks gently. Proverbs 15:1 says, a gentle, soft answer turns away wrath. This isn't just for husbands and wives. This is for families. This is for friends. This is for coworkers. A soft answer can stop the storm. It's like the captain. He sees the storm coming, and a soft answer steers the ship away from the storm. We're not going to go down that path of strife. We're not gonna get into it and lash out at each other. Tone matters. It's one thing to say, I love you. I forgive you. You really got what it takes. You're doing a great job. You notice my tone is really bad. <laughs> it's sarcastic, it's mean, it's not sincere. Tone matters. 
I love you. Please forgive me. You're doing a great job. You're amazing. You're a great mom to our kids. You're a great wife to me. Speaking this to my brother, John, I'm sorry. I, I could have said it differently. Please forgive me. You're a great brother. You're doing a great job. Saying this to my mother, to my grandma, I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. Tone can stop the strife before it gets into the storm. If you'll just give a gentle answer, it can take all the strife out of the conversation. Number four, attitude matters. That's the last one right here. Attitude matters. Love speaks sincerely. Romans 12, verse 9 says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love have an attitude of sincerity. Be authentic. Don't roll your eyes right after she says something, he says something. Don't sigh the whole time. <sighs> Some of you guys have been sighing while I'm preaching. It's all right. I love you. I love you. Words lose power when the body language doesn't line up. Words lose power when the body language doesn't line up. Your attitude is showing in your body language. You may not realize it, but we can see it. They can see it. Let's all be careful that we would project a sincere attitude. If it's not sincere yet, then get it sincere. Go into the closet with God, pray, get control of your attitude. Just say, God, I don't wanna go in there unless I'm sincere. And when I'm sincere, then I'm going to have a good attitude and not roll my eyes or sigh or look away or just the whole time be looking at my watch. I am going to project a positive attitude with my body language when I say these words. I'm sorry, I forgive you, I love you. You're doing a great job, whatever it is. I want us to end today by speaking some words of life. I think one reason why God has blessed this church is because we've decided to be a church that speaks life. We've been a church for 35 years, this year is 35 years of speaking love into our city, into our nation, into the world. And God's blessing has been on victory and it's gonna continue to be on victory as we take this message and say, let's speak love. This week, I want you to take a challenge to have a speak love campaign to find as many people this week. Monday motivation right here. Find someone to speak affirming, grace-filled, hope-filled, healing, kind words and uplifting words. This week, I want you to put some life in somebody. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Like an air pump to a balloon. I want you to just... Pump someone up this week. You are, come on, come on, come on. Here we go. Can you read that? You are love. Someone needs that today. Don't deflate it. Don't deflate them this week. This week, pump it up. Use your words to breathe life into a young person, into an older person, into your roommates, into your family members. Breathe life. Let them know God loves you. I love you. You're doing a good job. Affirm people this week. Why don't we take that challenge to have a Speak Love campaign this week? Amen? All right. If you're married and you feel comfortable today, I want you to use your words to renew your vows with your spouse. If that's you today, as a married couple, would you stand up on your feet? Honey, would you come up here? I wanna renew my vows to you. And if you feel comfortable to do this, I'm not forcing any couple to do this, but as a couple, if you say, you know what, I wanna do that today in church. I wanna renew my vows with my wife, with, with your husband, across this room. We'll start with the husbands first. I'm gonna take my honey's hands and husbands, repeat this after me. I, and say your name, I, Paul. According to the word of God, 
commit myself fully to you, to love you, to honor you, and to cherish you always. From this day on, I will be a husband to you. I will bless you. I will pray for you. I vow to forsake all others and cling to you forever. You are my one, my only true love. You look amazing all the time. I will never leave you. And from this moment on, we shall be one. Okay, ladies, Ashley's gonna lead you in this. And singles, don't go anywhere because I got something for you right after this. According to the word of God, commit myself fully to you, to love you, to honor you, and to submit myself to you. From this day on, I will be a wife to you, honoring you as the head of our home. I vow to forsake all others and cling to you forever. You are my one, my only true love. You're the man. You're the man. I will never leave you. And from this moment on, we shall be one. Amen. I'll show some love. All right, all of us, let's stand up on our feet today across this room. Whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, whatever season of life you're in, God sees you today and he loves you. God's not mad at you, he's not disappointed in you. He is so happy you came to church today. He's so happy you're watching this online, watching this on TV, listening to this on the radio. God is so in love with you as his daughter and his son. Today, we are going to respond from his love to people around us. We're gonna make a vow all across this room, whatever season of life we're in, today I'm asking you to make a vow to God that our mouths would be used as instruments of life and love to people around us. Let's say this together, repeat this after me. I vow to use my words to build up, to heal, to encourage, to rebuild, to repent when I'm wrong, to forgive when others wrong me, to affirm, to honor, and to speak love by the power of God's love in me. Praise God. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes today across this room. This is a serious question, serious moment. No one moving. I'll dismiss in just a few minutes, but if you're here today and you've been hurt by words that have been spoken over your life, labels that maybe were placed on you as a young boy, young girl, maybe from your ex, Maybe from a dad, a mom, a step-parent. Maybe from a brother, a sister, a teacher, a coach. But maybe there's been words that were spoken from someone that have just hurt you and you've held on to those words. And today, you're saying, Pastor Paul, I, I, I need to get free from these words that I've been living under. I've been rehearsing them in my mind. Names I've been called, labels I've been called today. I wanna break that generational curse off my life that I am not an at-risk child. I am not a failure. I am not a loser. 
I am not a, 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 a uh, whatever name you've been called that today you're saying, would, would you pray for my mind to be washed and renewed from the words that have been spoken over me? If that's you, just lift your hand across this room. No shame, no embarrassment, but today, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, yes, from the front to the back, you're saying, I am overcoming words that have been spoken over me or against me. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I need prayer to put a guard over my mouth. I have fallen into temptation too many times speaking negative words, speaking careless words, saying things that are hurtful. And today I wanna repent and I want God to renew my mouth, that my mouth would be a, an instrument of peace, an instrument of love, an instrument of encouragement. Today, if that's you, God wants to do it for you today. I want you to lift your hand. He's healing your mouth. He is setting you free, putting a guard on your tongue, on your lips to speak life, to speak love. Lastly, you're here today. Yeah, hands going up all over the room. You're here today and you say, Paul, pray for me. I'm hurting. My heart is hurting. Maybe you're here today and there's pain in your life, emotional pain, heartache, heartbreak. Maybe something's been done to you. Maybe you've been waiting for something and it hasn't happened yet. You feel discouraged. You feel disappointed. You don't know where to turn. Where do broken hearts go? The answer is to Jesus Christ. He is the great physician. He is the healer in this room. No man can heal your heart. No lady can heal your heart. But Jesus Christ, who died on the cross 2,000 years ago, says all broken hearts come to the cross. First one to the cross wins.